Well, good morning, everybody. My name is David McMinn, and I'm the pastor here, and I'm so glad that you've chosen to worship God with us. We're continuing our sermon series on generosity, about how God has unchained us from so many things and set us free, and that our only response can be one of generosity. Last week, we talked about gratitude, that the first thing when when Jesus saves us, when we experience salvation in our lives, we respond out of thankfulness. God has broken every chain. Some of the chains broke when we gave our life to Christ, but some of them take work over time and the Holy Spirit within us and and working with us throughout our entire life. And, And we shared last week about how we are grateful. You might see where we normally have our prayer wall. We've hung up all of your things that you are thankful for. And I just wanted to read a few of those this morning. And I invite you just to go and, and, and take a, a look. Because if you're struggling in your faith, sometimes it's good to see what other people are thankful for, how God is working in their life. And it will encourage you that God is still actively working in yours. This one was from a youth. Everyone who invited me into the church and the youth group made it feel like family and a place I wanted to come home to. I like this one. It's from one of our kids. I like eating. <laughs> Donuts bringing the kids, right? We know, we know that's true. Another one from the kids. Um, I love Rock Ridge because of the playground. Well, the playground was built because of your generosity. At one point, we said, hey, we need a playground. And we raised funds, and we did it. And now it brings kids to know and love God because they love the playground. I'm thankful for Rock Ridge Church and all the wonderful people that make our church family. Jesus, who paid our way and loves us, family and friends who all enrich my life and others, a life group full of wonderful people who love and accept me, a great job that I love and enjoy. That's what someone was thankful for. This one's really special to me. It's actually from Sophie, and I I don't usually do it like my kids are something special or anything. I mean, they're special to us. (laughs) But one of the things I'm really thankful is that my daughter can write, I love Rockbridge because I can be myself. You know, one of the big concerns as a pastor, we all, we've all heard about PKs, right, and, and that they're tears. And one of the reasons is, is that sometimes pastor's kids feel like they're in a bubble and they can't be themselves. So the fact that my daughter can be herself amongst you is, I mean, what greater gift can you give my family? So I'm thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for, this is another youth, Rockbridge. When I come, everyone is so nice and kind. I have so much fun. And I'll also love how, how each time I come, we are always doing something new, but it's always exciting. And then I'm thankful for the support, love, and understanding of the church. I have not met a single judgmental person here. The church has been an amazing blessing in my life. And I know each of you have experienced many of the same blessings from God and from the church, and we can all say that we are so thankful for what God is doing in our life. So the first response when Jesus breaks our chains is is gratitude. The second response is to live faithfully. Today we're going to talk about a a man named Zacchaeus. And we've all sang the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Yes, we heard that in Sunday school. I feel bad for Zacchaeus. He's a pretty awesome character. You know, he, he does these awesome things, responds to God. And all we know about Zacchaeus is that he was a wee little man. Interesting about the scripture, it's not exactly certain who was small. So it could be that he was small and had to climb the tree, or it could have been that Jesus was small and he had to climb the tree so he could see Jesus. So just, it might not have been Zacchaeus that was we, which I'm sorry, Zacchaeus, if we have been saying you're small all this time. But what's incredible about the story of Zacchaeus is he meets Jesus, Jesus sees him up in the tree, and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner. 
And then everybody gets mad at Jesus because he's like, this guy is a sinner. He's a tax collector. He's a bad dude. And Zacchaeus says, you know what? I'm going to sell half my possessions and give it to the poor. And I'm going to, anybody that I've cheated, I'm going to repay those debts. So Zacchaeus' response to salvation was to be generous with his life and his resources and everything that he had. And I think when we think about how all the things that God has done, all the mighty ways that God has worked in our life, we can't help but be generous back to God. Dallas Willard has a quote I wanted to share with you this morning. And I think this is a, expresses something that we struggle with in Christianity because we talk about salvation being free and then we forget that there's work that still needs to be done after we are saved. And I, and I think he puts it in the right way. It says that grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Let that sink in. Grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. When we are saved, when we have salvation, that doesn't mean the work is done. That means the work is beginning. And it is well-directed, decisive, and sustained effort that is the key to the keys of the kingdom and the life of restful power in the ministry that those keys can open to us. So if we want to live a life of faith and life abundant, we have to give effort. We have to serve God. We have to be faithful and respond to Jesus breaking the chains of our life. And today we're going to look at Zacchaeus' life and see how he responds and how he calls us to do the same. So our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among the tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see Jesus, to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree. Actually, you should read that as a fig tree. So he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is the son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. This really a peculiar story towards the end of Luke's gospel. Now, we heard a few weeks ago on Palm Sunday that Jesus came from Jericho up the mountain and into Jerusalem at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry. This is a story that happens in Jericho right before Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem, right before he's about to suffer and die on the cross and then be resurrected and all these things that we know happen. And on that way, he runs across this person named Zacchaeus. There's a few interesting things about this, the fact that he climbs a tree. The, the version here says a sycamore tree, but it's, it's probably a fig tree. And the reason that the author uses that word is a bit of a play on words because the word for fig tree and the word for sycophant are very similar in the Greek. And a sycophant is, of course, someone who, you know, they, they don't do good things. They take advantage of people. They, they kowtow to the people who are in power to take advantage of, of poor people. And so Zacchaeus, being a tax collector, is not a very kind person. Now, if you don't know that the tax collectors in Jesus' time are not like the IRS today. And, and really, no one really likes 
paying taxes, right? No one, even today, we don't really like paying our taxes. We, have, we think we could do much better things with that money. But in that time, the tax collectors were much more like the mob. They were hired by the Roman Empire. They were Jewish people. And so they were already not liked because the Jewish people looked at the Romans as oppressors. They did not want them controlling them. They did not want them in their land. They did not want to be paying taxes to them. And so they were already frustrated about that. But the way the tax collectors made their money was that they could take any amount they wanted on top of the taxes. The Romans didn't care what they did as long as they got their tax money. So these tax collectors would often like beat people up, take their money, and keep all, all that for themselves. So they were not well-liked people. They were bad people. So when, when Jesus talks about tax collectors as a category of people that those, the, the people of the time did not like, we know why. They took advantage of people. They took some of their wealth that wasn't theirs, and they used it for their own good. And not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. So he probably took some grift off the top of these tax collectors, making them cheat people even more. So you kind of see that why people are upset when Jesus is like, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. This is not a very good person. So he climbs up in the tree to see Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. You're a person that nobody likes. Apparently, you're really short. People make fun of you and are going to make fun of you for the rest of time. And you've heard of this guy named Jesus. This guy who has these incredible teachings that intensify the law. Teachings like it's, it's not only bad to commit adultery, but to imagine yourself committing adultery. It's not only bad to hate your enemy, but it's bad to even think about hating your enemy. And that we're actually called to love our enemy. And that we're supposed to treat others like we want to be treated. And we're supposed to love people. And yet also stand up for ourselves and do what is right and righteous. So Zacchaeus had probably heard some of these teachings and was just really curious about this Jesus. Or perhaps he had heard about some of the miracles that Jesus had done. I imagine if there was someone walking around town healing people, turning a few loaves and fishes into a meal for thousands of people, we'd want to go see that person too. Zacchaeus was curious. He was open to what Jesus was going to do in his life. And so he climbs up in the fig tree. Like I said, that was a bit of a play on words because it just was to show that he was not a good person. Another thing about Zacchaeus is his name means righteous. So it's kind of interesting that there's this very unrighteous person whose name means righteous. The other part of the fig tree is that the fig fruit was often used when they, when they talk about bearing good fruit. The fig tree in Luke is used for that example of a, a fruit that can be either good or bad. And Zacchaeus had not been producing good fruit in his life. And so when he meets Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house today, everything changes. And he hears the people grumbling about who he was. And he responds in faith. He says, I will sell half of my possessions and give them to the poor. And anyone that I have cheated, anyone that I have cheated, I will pay them back. What an incredible response. Why, when we think about Zacchaeus, do we think about him being a wee little man instead of this incredible response of faith that he gives? He says, in your house today, you have experienced salvation for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Here's this incredible story of a person whose life is completely altered from the path that he was on, all because he met Jesus. And then he changes the course of his life, and he starts to live in faith. 
Zacchaeus should be a hero. He should be someone we should be excited about, someone we should model our lives out because he responds in such incredible generosity to this moment of salvation. He doesn't think, I'm saved and I'm good to go. He thinks, I'm saved. How can I help my fellow human? How can I be a part of what God is doing in this world today? So my question is, how do we respond when Jesus breaks our chains? How do we respond when we've been given this gift of salvation, and how do we live it in faith? We're talking about generosity and how it is one of the most important responses that we can have. Jesus has unchained us from the weight of sin. Jesus has called us to be part of the mission and the vision of the church, to make disciples, to develop leaders, to serve our community. And we have to be excited by what God is doing in our life. And one of those calls is to be generous. Zacchaeus' response to salvation was incredible generosity. Could you imagine selling half of what you have and giving it to the poor? Wow. What an incredible sacrifice. We are called to be more generous. So how do we do that in our life? How can we be more generous with our time and our life and who we are? Well, I think the first thing that we can do is to show gratitude. We want to be around people who are thankful. We want to be around people that, are, that show gratitude for the things they have in life. And the same is true with faith. We have to be thankful for what God has already done in the midst of our lives. I don't know about you, I'm so thankful for God. I'm so thankful that God has provided me friends who hold me accountable. I'm so thankful that I have a church community to be a part of. I'm so thankful that I have a wife that is a godly woman. I'm so thankful for my kids. I'm so thankful that I get to be in this ministry So we need to show gratitude to God, because when we show gratitude to God, we have appreciation for what God has given us. I think the second thing is that we're called to live simply. Our culture tells us that more is better, right? That we need more things and bigger houses and fancier cars. And Jesus tells us, live simple. Live simple. So he has sold half of what he had. He had a lot of excess. And I think a lot of us don't realize that even living in America, we have more than 90% of the world. Could we live a little bit simpler, eat out a little bit less, live in a smaller house, drive a slightly less fancy car, maybe go on slightly less extravagant vacations, just so that we have more so we could be generous? Could we live a little bit more simply? I think we're also called to live with as little debt as possible. Now, that may seem hypocritical because we're talking about this debt campaign about a church that has $1.6 million in debt. I get that. But we're trying to pay that off. That's why this campaign is all about just reducing that debt. We believe that the debt is chaining us, that it's holding us back from the future that we can have. And the same thing is true in your life. If we live as the kind of people that put things on credit cards and so that we're paying it off or we put... uh, our life in debt. Now, some of it's unavoidable, right? To buy a house, it's really hard to do it without debt. But we need to live in a certain way that we're not chained by debt. The borrower is slave to the lender. If we paid off our debts in our life and focused on that, imagine how much more generous we could be. And I highly recommend Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace. And we'll offer that class again. We've offered it several times. If you've never taken it, please take it. 
because it helps us to focus and to live simple, to live generously and without debt. Another way we're called to be generous is with our time. I think oftentimes our, our, the time that we have is more precious than our money, isn't it? And yet God is calling us to be generous, to sacrifice that. The, the, the first church met in each other's homes every single day. So I guess we're going to start meeting every single day, right? But we ask you for three things. We ask you to show up to worship and be a part of this because this is for God. Yes, we get this incredible feeling when we leave worship, but we're here to worship God. So we ask you to show up for worship and to really be here and be attentive. We ask you to be in some sort of community, to be in a life group, right? To have people that walk alongside you, that hold you accountable, that, that make your life better because you have them in your life, that you can read scripture with together. And we ask you to serve, whether that's inside the church or outside the church, with our children and with our youth, with everything that we have here, with, on our committees, our trustees, our grounds, our finance team, our staff parish relations. We ask you to serve or to serve outside the church with one of our ministry partners. We're called to worship, and we're called to be in community, and we're called to serve. Be generous with your time, because you just might change someone else's life. You know, if you invite someone to church, which we all do, right? We all invite people to church every week, and then you decide not to show up that week, and they show up expecting you to see, see you here. Now, there's some really nice people that probably come back, but they're expecting you to see you in worship. So be generous with your time. Another way we need to be generous is with our prayers. Do you spend time praying for your neighbor? Do you spend time praying for those people who are hurting? Do you spend time praying for your church, for your pastor, for your life group, for the people sitting next to you? How much time do you give to God in prayer? And we need to be generous with our resources. I believe that everything that I have has been given to me by God. The whole world and everything is in it. And God has been incredibly generous to us. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says this, Christ himself suffered on account of sins once and for all, the righteous one on behalf of the unrighteous. He did this in order to bring you into the presence of God. Christ was put to death as a human, but made alive by the Spirit. That is the generosity that God has. That is the generosity that Jesus has, that he gave his one and only son that we might have life, that we might be made righteous. That's the generosity that God has given to you and to me. The least that we can do is share back to God the resources, our time, our prayers, our money, so that we can make God a priority in our lives. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 says this. Israel, listen, O God, our Lord, our God is the Lord, only the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. This is the Shema. This is the most important scripture in the Hebrew text. The Jewish people would pray this every single day. And we say it, I love the Lord with all my heart and my strength and my soul and, and our mind. But do we really love God with our heart and our being and everything that we are? Do you really mean it when you say you love God? Because to love God is to live a life of faith, to live a life of generosity. Zacchaeus, when he encountered Jesus, his response was to sell 
half of what he had and to pay back debts. What is God calling you to? Over this capital campaign, as we talk about unchaining ourselves from our debt, we're asking one simple question. What does the Lord want to do through me? I think that should be our question every single day. What does the Lord want to do through me? We even have it on the side. What does the Lord want to do through Rockbridge? We can change the world. We can make a difference. If we unchain ourselves from the fear of scarcity and know that if we step out in faith, that God will provide.